0: Hello and welcome to Juvenilia, a podcast about the early creative endeavors of both myself, Samuel Bone, and my good friend Corbin Wilkin. This week we will be tackling one of Corbin's earliest solo endeavors as a writer and an illustrator: the Lith siblings. The first. This is Corbin. Hello, Sam. And this is Sam. <laughs> Hello, Sam. <laughs> oh, hey, Sam. I didn't see you that there. Was nothing. How you doing? How's your week?
1: I'm. Uh, it's uh, it's it's been pretty average, yeah, yeah. And now I'm here, and we're doing this.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there's no one I would rather be doing this with. So let's take that as a small win.
1: Hey, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah.
0: So, little the siblings, this is uh, this is something that I I know very little about. I know the title. I have a vague concept of, uh, well, of genre, I'd say. That's probably about as deep as I could go with it. And after that, there's, yeah, nothing. Just a big empty box.
1: Okay. What genre Um, do you think it's in?
0: So I think it's in the genre of edgy teen fiction. (laughs) Uh, Like, uh, you know those books that you would sometimes come across as a sort of a young middle-aged teenager where it's like, This talks about difficult content, but you don't realize it's talking about it in the most like kid gloves way possible. Ah. Um, But I, yeah, I, I would stab, take a stab, and say it's drug paraphernalia (laughs) adjacent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds like the kind of thing that I would have been writing at the time. Um, It's you're in the right ballpark you 're definitely in the right mm. ballpark
0: um well let's uh, let's let's lay it out a little bit shall we let's uh, how about you give me that uh, wonderful synopsis of this uh, this most of tomes
1: okay so first of all confession because we did say we were going to be trying to do these in chronological order and mm. I think I screwed this up a bit because when I looked at the metadata on the files I have for this they were all for 2005 which makes sense uh, because I wrote this on a very old second-hand laptop that I know that right? I didn't get until 2005. So this is actually slightly later
0: than I thought. Wow. 2005 really was a, a sort of a creative hotpot for us.
1: It was a banner year.
0: Not to, yeah, not to, not to go too much away, but I feel like easily 80% of the our, our work uh, in... Immediate proximity to one another took place in those twelve months. So it certainly seems to, if the metadata can be believed, and I believe it can.
1: It's all been downhill since two thousand and five, Sam. That's my professional <laughs> assessment.
0: <clears throat> so I've never, I've never creatively recovered from two thousand and six.
1: It's been a disaster. But um, I, th- you know, it's fine. We're keeping it in broadly chronological order, and. Um, it's a good follow-up to the book we discussed last time, the Pawn, because this follows a pretty similar pattern, except it's one that I tried to do entirely by myself, without your much-needed creative <laughs> input.
0: So I, I yeah, I'll, 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 let you get on, but uh, I've, I've already thought of my first, uh, first additional bit of information that's gleaned from you saying that. But uh, please ooh. tell me what is what is the list of things.
1: Well. Discussing genre, which it's funny because we had a big old discussion about genre last time, but um, it's difficult to say what the genre is. It's it's kind of a horror, Mm. but not really. It's
0: kind of
1: a a crime story.
0: Ooh. Uh, Now, was this perchance around the time of uh, your early adoption of the work of Irvine Welsh by any chance?
1: Well it's funny you should ask that because yes. <laughs> Which is probably why you uh, thought it might be a, a drug story because of my obsession with train spotting when I was that age and the mm. big influence it had of my own writing. So first of all I should say this is uh, this was an attempt to write a novel uh, mm. with with illustrations because you know I wanted to draw pictures. You can't stop me even if it's wildly inappropriate for the the uh, the the this type of story, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's essentially about uh, a group of sadistic serial killers. Oh wow! But uh, yeah, it was. Close I had no to- idea. Oh really?
0: Yeah, genuinely, that's news uh, to my ears. <laughs> well,
1: true to form, I've probably kept this whole thing. I probably kept it to myself, and well, if I didn't show you this you know what i'd been writing on this then i wouldn't have shown anyone else so i mm. guess no one's ever seen it <laughs> but yeah it's it's about a, a group of sadistic serial killers but it's closely modeled on the sort of irvine welsh um manner of storytelling where it's kind of pieced together out of the sort of like a variety of grim little episodes following different characters
0: yes yeah, so it's uh, a style that is uh unmistakably that of Welsh's but um do you uh do you recall was this was this your very first attempt at writing
1: Was it my very first attempt at writing that is a very good question. I'm not actually sh- no i I think I wrote a couple of attempts at short stories before this, but very very small things. This was my mm. first i guess what you'd call my first a serious attempt at writing. Which I didn't realize until just now, but I think, yeah, this was definitely the first time I sat down and said, I'm going to write a novel. I can do it.
0: I, uh, I, I mean, that's, uh, I I was about to say it's very, it was very bold of you to go straight to novel, and then I realized what we talked about last week, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's still, there's, there's a certain can't keep a good dog down energy to this period of our lives I feel
1: <laughs> well when um, you're that age you just kind of have an idea and you just go and do it now there's a, a lot of chin scratching and and pondering involved like hmm but how am I going to do this uh, is it fit for publication blah 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 yeah. back then it was like oh, I got an idea grab some paper
0: the only, the only limitation was how much printer paper your parents had left in the ream <laughs>
1: that's so true it was sometimes a painful limitation the other big influence on it though was a clockwork orange so the two big adult books that i had read at 15 were train spotting and a clockwork orange which being an edgy little bugger i obviously they had a big influence on me
0: i do remember um and this sort of uh Leads back to what I was uh, going to say before when I realized I was about to interrupt you when you not said word one about the project. But, um, I, I do remember this project for one stark reason. And that was that I immediately got the sense of like, Oh no, I've been, I've been cut out of, uh, of this creative partnership. I, uh, <laughs> I've, I've immediately been found lacking and, uh, I've been cut out of the, of the, the proceedings which, which, you know, it's not the feeling that, that stayed with me, but I do remember having a little bit of sensitivity around it and thinking, hm, am I, am I not, uh, dark enough for Corbin's taste? And then I, uh, I also remember that, um, we, we'd had sort of a, a movie night together where we, we sort of lined up a number of, um, sort of movies that were absolutely not suitable for teenagers, but nevertheless suggested teenage watching fair. I do believe the train spotting was one of them. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, Colin really likes this stuff, I should really make sure that I watch it. Um, and yeah. But also just feeling like this isn't necessarily where I'm at right now.
1: What did you think so of? So it
0: was gone.
1: What did you think of the train spotting movie at the time?
0: I remember going into it, as was so often the case with me in any movie that it was sort of scary or off putting or upsetting or, you know, horror based. Um, not that I would call that a horror but it does have horror elements to it for sure Um, but I do remember going in thinking oh I'm about to see the most terrible things I've ever seen in my life and then being like oh okay that is upsetting but it's not my my brain has conjured far (laughs) worse than what it actually was that's why Um, you've
1: got to face your fears but not run away from them because anything you can imagine is probably worse than what you're actually going to see
0: that's true. That is very true. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but so with this, I mean, what, was it just a case of like emulation with uh, sort of going after this sort of this kind of narrative, or did you were, were there sort of broader goals that you were hoping to like achieve with telling a story like that?
1: Well, to say that I had goals would be a lie because I, th- I think again it ties into having an idea and just going with it at that age. I had no pretensions about it meaning anything. I just thought it was a cool idea for a story, and I just wanted to explore the atmosphere, I suppose. That's how I'd put it now, is that I just I wanted to explore the idea. There was no real intent behind it. But I guess it was just, in general, an attraction to the dark and grim elements of life, which I was aware at the time that you were a lot less interested in. And I think maybe that's part of the reason I didn't feel it was something I ought to ask you to work on because I was aware that you weren't into that sort of thing. You didn't like horror films or, you know, stuff about kind of violence and the sort of more disturbing aspects of life. But for some reason, you know, I was an edgy teen who kind of really liked that stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do, I do remember, um, sort of getting to that point relatively quickly myself, like, and this was at a time in my life where I was not at all emotionally sophisticated. i done, you know, I, I was very much just like having a feeling and then allowing it to just run rampant through my system and how I behave with things. Um, but I do remember, uh, I do remember having a moment of thinking, well, he likes this stuff. I don't like this stuff. Of course it's okay that he works on that like without me like that. That makes sense. I think if you had turned around and done... If you'd turned around and basically done like something that we were trying to do together by yourself, I think that would have dented me in a much more permanent fashion. Yeah.
1: Well, I liked working with you, and I, I don't think I had any desire to um, just sort of strike out on my own. Like, oh, Sam's holding me back. But it was just... <laughs> yeah, I, I think... One way or another, you'd made me very aware that you you just weren't into that um, that sort of genre of things.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I fully wasn't. I've sort of developed a um, a reluctant uh, a reluctant connoisseurship of some elements of you know those sort of darker genres, but uh, I mm. by and large I still I still mostly mostly avoid them. Even though sometimes again my brain presents me with much worse versions. Yeah. Then, uh, then are actually out there. Though, once in a blue moon, I do still come across something and I'm like, oh no, that, that was genuinely terrible. I regret watching that.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that, that can definitely happen. But I guess it's, that's why people are attracted to this kind of thing is because. It allows you to face your fears in a safe setting and kind of understand what you're up against. And speaking, going back to what you asked about a goal for it, maybe my goal as a teenager just coming across these very dark aspects of the world for the first time, my goal was to try to face those fears, you know, in some subconscious way. my goal was to say, oh, my God, there are these kind of awful people out there you know i want to try and understand them i want to know what we're up against you know there's evil in the world how do i cope with that fact
0: i think that's uh i think there's a similarity there between like what you just uh sort of outlined and the feeling that a lot of people get about um sort of uh true crime media where some people will say oh you shouldn't you shouldn't be interested in that like why are you so why are you lauding these people, why you like uh, listening to what they, you know, listening to things about them and making them into like characters and sort of, uh, I'm not going to say heroes, but, you know, like uh, sort of uh, charismatic antagonists. Um, And I think for a lot of people it's that thing of, well, no, the the world is a bad place. Like, Mm. there are bad people out there, but I need to know it better because if I can see the monster, the monster becomes less scary or I understand it better. So...
1: Well, there are right ways and wrong ways of doing it, and there are there are films and books that you could argue have glorified people who, uh, you know, are they, they have glorified the worst sort of people in a way that can be considered quite harmful. And some people did indeed level that criticism at Train Spotting. They said it almost seems to romanticise heroin use. As much as other people said, oh, if you know, if you watch that, you'll never want to use drugs in your life. I
0: do. I do remember people. A lot of people, well, not a lot, but I remember more more than one person making that remark to me, um, a teenager who absolutely did not uh, partake in like drug use of any uh, of any notable kind. <laughs> I remember uh, sort of older kids would be like oh, watch that movie, you'll never want to touch heroin. And I was like, well, I wasn't really planning on touching heroin. That's not really, those aren't really the crowds that I move in. But, you know, good to know. <laughs> Older kids,
1: meaning like uh, 17-year-olds from the sixth form. Yeah,
0: and, <laughs> right and, right. and the, one, the one like 24-year-old guy trying to sleep with the girls from the girls' school that absolutely shouldn't have been there at all.
1: It's funny how people at that age can speak so authoritatively to people like a year younger than them. Like, don't make the same mistakes I did, kid. <laughs> you want to watch that movie? Scare yourself straight.
0: Yeah, someday you'll be looking back on this, like I am on my retirement pile.
1: <laughs> so yeah, but essentially, it's uh, this book was an attempt to do train spotting, but with murder instead of heroin. that's the elevator (laughs) pitch it's like train spawning but take the heroin replace it with moita.
0: wow I mean that's uh, that's quite a pitch do you um, now you've sent me some information about this which I've I've downloaded but I've not cracked it open yet Um, I I don't want to uh, wrestle too much with our formula and I'm in no way suggesting that this would be the middle point where we would delve in for a reading but do you feel that it might be worth us going through some of the material together um, to to allow me a little, like a little better understanding, or is there more you'd like to? Well, you, uh, you can go ahead.
1: I mean, there's not. What I've sent you is the uh, is the first attempt at a first draft and the I think six illustrations that I did for it.
0: Looks like six, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can look at those. I mean, it probably won't be that exciting if you sit there reading to yourself live on the air. No. But no, uh, you, you,
0: I, you can look at the pickies. <laughs> take a look at the old, the old pukurannies.
1: You can see uh, the, the drastic improvement over the year since I was drawing the illustrations for the pawn.
0: Yeah, I would say that we're, like here, we're almost immediately to um, a sort of a more recognisable uh Corbin Wilkin art style if you don't mind my saying I'm not saying that your artwork still looks like this but there's much more of the of the sort of feel to it like the bones of it um that would eventually come to be like central to your art style or at least how I picture it in my mind
1: all I'm saying is Chris Riddell watch out
0: <laughs> I mean, t- this this podcast should serve as a a uh, standing warning to English Riddell <laughs> 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 at all times, regardless of whether or not we're directly saying it. But uh, he's on notice,
1: okay? He is on notice officially quite, as of now.
0: Quite right. Watch out, Riddell. I still haven't got my copy of Sun City back, and it's the only one I have. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that in a future episode. So the yeah. um the first illustration, which is just called Mariah, that's um yes. that's my favourite out of these, and it's actually not terrible. And the reason I say it's not terrible is because it's got a nice solid black background with a more detailed foreground. And the moon it is does. just a perfect white disc. And I think it's actually almost a strong composition.
0: It is, yeah, it is. I, I would uh if I was to take a, an edit side to it, I might crop Perhaps I might bring the frame in a little from like the the bottom left corner up diagonally slightly, but generally speaking it's pretty it's pretty solid what you've got here and i also I also notice that there's a style of uh you know the the darkness sort of reaching up to where the character is and then sort of fragmenting into mm. sort of a, a sort of a hatched shading it represents which, the
1: darkness in their souls Sam <laughs> can you understand <laughs> well that was.
0: Good. That was going to be my question was, uh, you know, how literal we'll be getting of these things.
1: Not very. So the, very. That, that illustration shows, uh, one of the main characters, Mariah Lith standing above a pit, presumably where they're about to bury a dead body and, mm. um, standing in front of some silhouetted trees against the moon. And she looks a little haunted by what she's done mm. because who wouldn't be right?
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I maybe a serial killer, but, uh, there's none of those in the
1: book. <laughs> well, exactly, and immediately, <laughs> what I can see when I'm looking at these images and especially reading the text is quite obviously I've had a very poor grasp of human psychology, let alone the psychology specifically of someone who would be capable of murdering people for thrills. And um, yeah, that's the that's the great uh, shortcoming. Of this book and my attempts and to write that's, it.
0: That's a criticism that's been laid at uh, laid at your feet time and again throughout your creative career. <laughs> it's
1: well, a lack
0: of understanding of human psychology. Yeah, you were you were you were 14, 15 at the time you wrote this, correct?
1: Well, yeah, and this is I, I honestly, you jest, but it has kind of been a pattern for me. I feel as though I do bite off more than I can chew in the sense that whenever I write something, I'm trying to understand the inner lives of people that I I don't have the capacity to understand. And I guess that's why it interests me, because I find myself thinking, God, you know, what would drive someone to do this? Or what was someone thinking when they did that? And the writing is the attempt to understand. But a 15 year old trying to write about serial killers, you know, I was obviously bound to fall far short of the mark for understanding their motivations and what was going on in their heads.
0: Yeah. I mean, I um, me just flat agreeing to that is not me being like, yeah, of course you're going to fall short. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I think that you need to fall short and I think you need to take those sort of big swings at that age. Like, I, I, I think that I thought that this story was perhaps... Hamer or perhaps more of a direct lifting um of work from uh you know from, from the inspiration of Welsh. And uh whoever wrote Clockwork Orange, someone wrote it, didn't they? <laughs> Anthony Burgess. That's it. Burgess. My man Burgess, with whom I share no no tie. Um but no, I I think that uh I was already i'm i'm impressed by this work i'm already sort of uh having a feeling of well damn he really uh he really went for it
1: well again i I, you know i didn't question it at all if i came up with this idea now i'd be sitting there going well i wouldn't get away with that one nope nope it's unpublishable forget it scrap that idea but back (laughs) then it was like oh this is cool yeah let's do that and that's just no. how it is you know and that's got its benefits and its drawbacks as you get older because you do you do um, find yourself being more discerning but you can end up um, th- throwing out any ide- ideas that inspire you because you think oh no I I, I can't do that
0: well that's uh, that's the thing that I um, have definitely been fine I'm I'm, I'm currently uh, working on well, I'm I'm editing one novel and I'm writing a a second uh, you know novel currently, and there are elements in the second novel that sometimes I think, am I just crowbaring these in? Are these like do these work? Am I am I trying to go too big with it? And I'm like, well, much in the way that when I was a kid, I wasn't afraid of going big. I think that I need to not be afraid of going big now. Yes, because uh, worst case scenario, I can always trim it back. Yeah, but. You know, I'd rather I'd rather take a swing and, and not just write the same book that I wrote the first time. But yeah.
1: Yeah, um, but I do still struggle with it to this day. Um, there's a book that I've been working on for some time, a graphic novel, that I still feel like, God, is this, you know, can I do this? Am I allowed to, to write about this? Do I understand these characters properly? Because I don't want to write something where I have an empathy I haven't empathised fully with the characters. I don't want to write something where I've misunderstood or misrepresented how something really feels. You know, if Mm -hmm. if something's worth writing and you really care about it, it has to have a really deeply felt, honest truth to it. And that can come from writing it in the manner of a memoir, coming directly from your own experience. But as I said, one of the things that drives me to write is to try to understand things that other people might have gone through, or often things that I might have gone through, things that I almost went through, things that had my life gone down a slightly different path I might have gone through, and to understand the difference between myself and some alternate version of myself. um, But there's a fear of getting it right or a fear of getting it wrong I should say <laughs> so that it's um it makes me very nervous about sharing work when I feel like I am going out on a limb because by going out on a limb you're taking a risk that you're going to fall wide of the mark and other people will just say this is this is not right at all this doesn't feel honest and truthful at all this this is just silly or this is just simply wrong <laughs> Do you get those fears? Because they've plagued me basically ever since I've been doing this, pretty much.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the strange thing is, it's for me, it's sort of uh, gone uh, around in a bit of a, a circle. Because when I was this age, I do remember, like, whenever we would uh, show each other what we've been working on, which was usually the same project. But I'd be, you know, most often writing; you'd be most often illustrating. I always remember thinking, "God, what if?" What if I show him this stuff and he just goes, Oh, that's that's rubbish to getting to a point where, you know, our friendship had existed for long enough that I was like, he's not gonna do that, he's my friend. Like even if he doesn't think something's good, he's not gonna like wallop me with uh, you know, bad feelings to getting around to a point again now where I'm where I'm doing stuff that I'm really invested in and because I'm invested in it, and because I'm really putting so much of my like effort into it, it's uh it's gained new vulnerability and even though I don't suddenly think that you would uh be a critique uh or be like overly critical um i do i do just think well what if this is just bad i almost fear the sort of the gentle friend response of like well you know good work good good try you know like keep going maybe this isn't the one yeah but...
1: that's worse isn't it almost you what you'd almost. rather have someone go this is sick what's wrong with you
0: yeah. <laughs> honestly i'd kind of love
1: to get that reaction like that's it's almost my greatest fear but it would be so liberating um, I don't know if you know if you've ever read crash by JG ballard but apparently when he first sent that out to publishers he got a lot of responses like that he, he was told like you need to see a psychiatrist like what's wrong with you
0: the uh the the story of course where people are excited in an uh, in adult manner by witnessing car crashes correct?
1: That's a very judicious way of putting it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine people being like, nope, but it's I mean, I've not read it and I know what it is, so Yeah. You know,
1: I hadn't that read was, that one at something. the time that I was working on the, the Lith siblings, but mm. if I had, it would have been right up my street.
0: Oh, undoubtedly. <laughs> undoubtedly. <laughs> you would have had a, a poster of it on your wall. Yeah. <laughs> Book poster. I was thinking to people do that, I suppose they do. Um, wait, I say that, I had book posters. What am I getting on at?
1: <laughs> yes, the Edge Chronicles, again.
0: <laughs> yes, haunting or lies. Be warned, Riddell.
1: <laughs> but I'm supposed to tell you my abiding memory of working on this project, according to my own would, lo- I
0: would I was going to say, I would love to hear that. And I do, I do have a couple of questions to dig into the actual content, but please tell me your abiding memory
1: my abiding memory of working on it is writing it on that that uh, infamous laptop that
0: i do remember that laptop
1: inch and a half thick
0: laptop oh it was at least 3 inches deep surely <laughs> 3 Oops. inches
1: deep um i yeah i got it for my 15th birthday it was um from a car boot sale and it was probably about 10 years out of date at that point but i was very grateful for it C- couldn't get on the internet on, uh, on it or anything and it was intended for doing homework but i ended up having a surprising amount of fun on an on a very old clunky laptop with no internet access and that was <laughs> that was what i i wrote this on and scanned the images into and laid it out as a book on. well
0: perhaps part of uh, your your secret to success was the fact that you had a laptop with no internet access i feel like every sort of older <laughs> writer that I've uh, sort of read about the creative process of basically says, I've got a laptop from 1965, but in one, one word a minute, and it's got no access to anything and it's in black and white. And you're like, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that
1: that's actually, I can't believe I didn't think of that, but you might be right. You might honestly but, be right. Uh, but I would sit on see, uh, my, I think I had a bean bag or like a sort of low, like soft chair that was basically a bit of foam. And I would sit on mm. the, that on my bedroom floor, just typing away on this laptop, like, yeah, this is brilliant.
0: I recall that well, old foam chair. I, um, I, I had a, a third-hand or fourth-hand uh, laptop around the same time, I believe. I think my one was possibly even older than yours, but I do remember I had the function to... Um, it had a, It had a sort of a basic CD drive, that wasn't in the thing, but was, attached, but was attached to it by a cable. Yeah. And for, com- for comparison, I, I loaded my laptop up with maybe about 50 images that I'd picked out <laughs> that I enjoyed looking at. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 and I would, I would turn on my laptop and wait about 10 minutes, and then I could look at one image and then... Hitting the, the sort of the next key would uh, start a thirty second process for the next image to load up. arrow thinking, man, I'm so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dare I ask
1: what those images were of?
0: Yeah, you daren't.
1: <laughs> All right, funny cartoons, I assume. Very funny. Yeah, but that's my main abiding memory of it. It's it's not it's not much, but it's mostly just about that laptop because it, it's. I associate it very strongly with that laptop because it's um, the kind of biggest thing that I tried to do when that, that laptop computer was, um, you know, my main computer in my life in 2005. Oh, yeah. It was your tool. So it's intrinsically, this story is intrinsically tied to that laptop for me.
0: And I think it's, uh, I think it's rather remarkable that you, um, that you have these images to be honest. Like I know, I, I, they're, they're in there and you've got the formatted you know the like the, the Word documents still exist it's all in there.
1: Yeah it's shocking there are a few other Word documents as well that I didn't send you because they're more like notes and I didn't want to uh, muddy the waters too much but uh, yeah I mean these images are they're very very small very small images but mm. they are still there like, they're only about 500 pixels across for Christ's sakes but
0: they do the job um so my uh, my question for you or well, my questions for you sort of actually center around um, the list of things themselves because i i've i've been skim reading this chapter but i i i don't uh, i don't know much about them i <laughs> i uh i'd like to know who they are like uh, are they yeah, are there two of them? Are there five of them? Are there seven of them? You know, like what's the what's the dynamic here, and what did you what did you have intended for this story? Can you can you give us a sort of a broader uh, plot synopsis? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, we're like half an hour in, and I haven't really explained who these guys are or uh, what's going on. So yeah, that well, that's should, okay. That's, we're
0: not professionals.
1: Far from it, Sam. <laughs> so the Lith siblings, Dante and Mariah Lith, are uh, two young adults, brother and sister and then in a later version of the story they're not actually brother and sister but they pose as brother and sister like as a cover (laughs) (laughs) ultimately there were three versions of this story but we'll get to that and um there are three other main characters in the story and um the basic structure of the book that i had planned out was that we where well, we open sort of in media res where these this brother and sister have already started their killing spree. But over the course of the book they meet three other people who have also separately been involved in murders and they basically form a sort of like ultimate crime gang led by this one mysterious figure called Orion, who sort of he's sort of a drifter who comes out of nowhere and he's the most sort of you know, disturbed and violent, out of all of them, and he leads them into <clears throat> you know terrible, a terrible place where they almost like have this kind of psych, psych- psychological breakdown, and their you know their world kind of falls apart. And I don't know how I was going to end the story, but it will presumably end up with most of them either dead or in prison. Like, it was going to be like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. We can do anything. We can get away with any crime. Like, we can do whatever we want. And then, like, reality comes crashing down. That was my big kind of gambit, that reality would hit them and this this kind of trip they'd been on would fall to pieces and they'd all sort of turn on each other. And
0: Well, I, I remember um, at around this age um, thinking that, you had a, a great disdain for any any sort of narrative tropes or any anything that happened in a, a story that you sort of could guess, like uh, you know if, if you watched a, a, a film. Well, I remember a particular disdain for if we would watch a film and uh, the main character would end up uh, developing a, a romantic interest in someone as a sort of a, a subplot. And I remember I remember being wowed by that and thinking, "Wow, I never thought to think of that." But right. You... He's, he's right that does always happen it's quite boring <laughs> well when i did that when i was
1: talking to you like that i'd probably about two weeks before read a piece of film criticism or something and had a light bulb moment where i realized hey you, <laughs> you can identify aspects of things in stories and decide that you don't like them and and, and point Eesh. them out and go oh that's been used before that's a bit
0: Many a YouTuber has made their fortune from that same realization.
1: They have indeed, um, and it probably just, you know, maybe if you were impressed by me doing that, it's just because you, I, I realized it first.
0: <laughs> Again, we were you children. Invented, so. You invented that. <laughs> no, um, but I do remember thinking like Corbin wouldn't want something to have a happy ending, especially not something like this. But I do, I do wonder, like you know, you said you weren't sure what the ending would be. From the little sort of uh, snippets that I've read of this, I get the sense that one one of these siblings is not as into this as the other one, and I can sort of imagine perhaps a, a having to choose between you know a sibling or you know pretend sibling um, support for one another and uh, you know doing something that perhaps is maybe not the morally right thing to do, or maybe not doing it because it's the morally right thing to do, but uh, choosing the back way for things because you realize it's not for you. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's that's how I could sort of picture that. Uh, that's
1: Well, that's there. that's actually bang on. And I'm amazed you got all that just from skim reading it while we're talking.
0: I <clears throat> because... was well, very intelligent. Oh, yeah.
1: I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly correct. And um, that was kind of the engine that, dri- that was going to drive the story. And that, that's what kind of got me as far as I did in writing it was the tension between the two main main characters Dante and Mariah because um, essentially and I don't know if I had the language to describe it at the time but essentially Mariah is a sort of um, sociopath and basically doesn't have any kind of ethical you know it doesn't have any kind of deep ethical concerns about what they're doing and is clearly kind of like you know mentally broken in some way whereas Mm. dante is well i don't really know what his motivations were but he's clearly more conflicted about it Mm. and i wasn't immersed in true crime at the time and i didn't know anything about um uh what's his name uh jeffrey Dahmer. but you know apparently Mm. jeffrey Dahmer was deeply conflicted about what he did and he had um serious regrets and like it's just like he couldn't control himself, but he kind of hated himself for doing it. And I guess I was in my own crude, totally inadequate way trying to strike that uh, that juxtaposition between someone who was like just doing it for the thrill of it and, um, had, you know, with without any kind of... Without any deeper concerns, and then someone who's conflicted over what he's doing, and the fact that they're kind of bound together, and you yeah. know that eventually that something's got to, something has got to give between them.
0: Well, that's uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's a uh, that's a pretty pretty solid basis to go on. Like, um, I feel like, yeah, you the the strong nor- uh, narrative jobs in there, they're, and like as I say, it's I mean. Obviously, I am an adult reading the work of a teenager here, but I think the fact that there's enough in there that you can sort of pick that out is, uh, you know, it's an indication of a certain sophistication.
1: Well, I'm probably reading into it more than I was actually thinking consciously at the time, but this is me trying to make sense of what the hell I was thinking when I was 15. (laughs) The story, if I'd managed to keep going with it, it almost certainly would have ended with one of them betraying the other in some grand Mm. way probably would have ended with dante betraying mariah and like getting her you know caught while he managed to kind of make his getaway and have some kind of uh redemption though god knows how because they've already committed horrendous crimes
0: <laughs> well it's he, he stopped he stopped so that's 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 redemption enough surely
1: <laughs> right yeah well I guess again I was envisioning the the great redemptive ending that you had at the end of train spotting. Ah, uh, yes. But in train spotting uh, the main characters kind of only but he moves
0: to London. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the canon is actually that he moves to Amsterdam.
0: Oh yeah, you're right. My bad. Yeah. I would like, if I may, to hear a little snippet of this most wondrous term. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, I can read some out. I didn't realize I we read. were already at that point, but, uh, yeah, we can do that.
0: I'm taking, I, I felt that our, our midpoint came almost at the end last time, so I'd... Oh, it's supposed like to be uh, a
1: midpoint. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh... I, that was that was my impression. I could be wrong, but all right, okay. I okay. Like, uh, I'd like to take a little break in the middle, have a little dramatic reading, and then I've got more things I want to ask, so...
1: Take a little sip of, uh... A sip of tea or coffee or punch, whatever you prefer. Settle I've back. I
0: love the can of Coca Cola.
1: Ah, a little free advertising for the Coca Cola there. Love it. Okay.
0: No, I'll actually have to pay them for saying that, so that was stupid of me. Damn it, but, um... Sam. We're trying to get that sponsorship
1: <laughs> deal. OK, so I was going to read the um, the sort of opening passage, but then I realized it's actually quite boring because it basically just describes Dante and Mariah kidnapping someone and uh, taking him to an abandoned warehouse and um, torturing him and killing him, which sounds mm. exciting. Very, but It's basically just boilerplates. <laughs> it's not good. And I thought the next bit was more interesting. So let's assume you've just read that bit.
0: Hmm. Um, I'm shocked you're you're, you're shocked you've
1: you've seen this horrible scene of kidnap and torture who who are these deranged killers why are they doing this
0: what are these freakos doing
1: so that's when the text continues here we go now you may be thinking why why were they doing this why had they done it several times before they weren't on crack or anything like that and no they weren't escaped lunatics No, the simple truth is this. Just like everybody else drinks or goes roller skating or has sex, (laughs) Dante and Mariah Lith killed for their own enjoyment. They got serious pleasure from torturing and killing human beings.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm having a difficult time. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Sorry, I'll, I'll compose myself. Please carry on.
1: How they had been getting away with it for two years, and how they came to be like this, is a bit of a flashback. So we'll leave it for the moment. Soon, however, the guy was dead. There's a lot of exposition in this, as you can see. Mariah finished this job by accidentally putting her knife through the back of the guy's throat when she reached too far in to cut off his tongue, something she enjoyed doing. His throat split with a grisly pop and tear. It finished the job. Shit, Mariah had sulked. For such a very young lady, she had a pretty filthy mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read this without laughing. <clears throat> it was past 3.30 in the morning, and the first light of dawn was just visible on the horizon, as Dante patted the ground with the shovel one last time, as if to reassure himself that the loose earth was not attempting to fly away. "Okay," he said, a little drowsily. And stood for a few seconds, contemplating his work and catching his breath. Mariah was dozing against a tree nearby. We stayed out far too late again. They both knew. Tomorrow Mariah would act like a nice normal girl, and tell their parents, Susan and Stuart Lith, about the great film that she had seen with her brother, and then would apologize for coming in so late. Dante dropped her off at their parents' home and continued on to the apartment building, where he lived with his unexciting girlfriend, Sarah. Sure he... well, of course, loved her, yeah, but she seemed to be lacking a little something. Heck, though, compared to how he was, anybody would seem a little nondescript. Also living with them was this nervous pale guy, Tracy. He was an okay guy. A little quiet, maybe. He basically kept out of their affairs.
0: Just as a little uh, content note, Tracy very much uh, modelled on the uh, father of one of our friends at the time. (laughs) Carry on.
1: When Dante arrived home, Sarah was fuming, her small face angry, her chestnut-coloured bob of hair in a mess. He walked timidly into the living room area. He had seen the light on from outside and knew what he was in for. Now just what the fuck were you doing with your sister until four in the fucking morning, huh? Most movies aren't that long, Dante, a highly annoyed voice. He glanced at his silver watch, then. He asked by way of conversation, "'Tracy asleep?' With a humorless laugh, she assaulted him. "'Asleep? You looked at your fucking watch, you tell me. Of course he's fucking well asleep.' "'From the way you're screaming, he won't be for much longer,' thought he contemptuously. He began to walk towards the kitchen area, then, vaguely remembering that he was tired. "'Hey!' she yelled. And don't try to change the subject like that. Okay. He stopped his journey to the kitchen, took two strides and placed his large hands on her small shoulders. She still had a look of contempt on her features, but he could see she he was warming up. I'm really sorry, Sarah. I should have called. She opened her mouth a little, then closed it, deciding to let him talk. He continued in his rough but light voice, his shadow of stubble moving with his words. Well, see, here's the thing. I was going to stay at my parents' place the whole night, because. He started to scratch unconsciously at the back of his neck. He had soon managed to explain everything away, telling her about his parents' failing marriage and the support that they needed from him. Apparently, he had taken Mariah out so their mum and dad could talk things over privately, and he had then stayed until very late, trying to keep the waters clear between the mother and father. Sarah apologised over and over for suspecting anything. Dante gave her the old, No, I'm sorry. And the young couple ended up making love until their bedroom was a shine with the morning sun. He took just 40 minutes of sleep before the sun pulled him back to the cruel world of the living.
0: Oof. I mean, he have got it all in there.
1: I like cruel world of the living. That's That's probably my favourite bit.
0: I quite like <laughs> uh, the choice of uh, the mother and father is uh, I don't know if it was intentional, but it feels as if you're that sort of slightly alienating language is something where you know it's 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 his mother and father, but saying the mother and father sort of uh, I don't know if that was a deliberate stroke. no, I, I hadn't pegged that very, at
1: all, actually. It's very good. I mean, as these also, are supposed a- to be, it's very embarrassing to to read, you know it's all over the place, my God.
0: Uh, no, it, it it hangs together pretty well. There's a, uh, the, you're probably re- recognizing something that I recognized when I was reading my my uh, writing last time, which is that um, sometimes you sort of get on a trail, uh, get on like a like a, a roll, and you know what to say for like several sentences or even like several paragraphs, and then sometimes you can only think of one sentence, so you just put that in, and like you can see there's a sort of a. It's uh, not equally weighted. How much different actions and different moments get in terms of uh, words on the page?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is just a, a it, yeah. It's just amateurism. It's just not having the skill to um, fully spin a scene out. Which is how I think of it now. Spinning a scene out you, when you have an idea for a scene, there is a skill to taking that and actually making it run to its kind of yes. full natural length.
0: Something I'm uh, currently getting better at. If I do say so myself. Well, good. I was very self-congratulatory, but uh, that's uh, something. Uh, as I'm as I'm editing, I uh, I notice. I go back and I'm like, okay, the skeleton's here, but let's get some meat on those bones.
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny looking back at this, the exposition in it. This the kind of sides that I put in, almost like I'm the narrator talking to you. Yeah. And I, I don't think at the time that I. I meant it entirely seriously. I meant it to have a bit of a a wry tone.
0: No, I, I think so. I think that um, I think that the it's meant to be from the perspective of a of a jaded, um, a jaded uh, narrator. I could I can imagine the narr- the narrator be- becoming a becoming a character. I'm not saying you would do something so acty, but yeah, I could imagine them showing up. Yeah, you got to love the
1: line, Soon, however, the guy was dead. Bit of an anti-climax.
0: <laughs> I mean, what I like, I don't know if uh, there's some issue with my file, but my version simply says, Soon, however, guy was dead.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a little typo there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of the minor problems with this text. There's a few typos. Who Can you imagine?
0: I mean, it would, it wouldn't make sense if it didn't have any, like that's, uh, that's just how that, go- how that goes. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, my, my next question for you, you, um, you said you associate this with uh, being created on that, uh, most iconic of laptops. But, um, can you tell us a little bit more about like where and when the, the sort of the, the pressure cooker that, uh, produced this particular bit of uh, work, like, what was going on for you at, uh, at the time in your, in your personal life and where was the sort of the physical space that you were working in and do you feel that that had any sort of input on what you were doing?
1: Well, I was very, very in my bedroom at that time. You know, like a lot of teenagers, I kind of lived my life in my bedroom and my bedroom became a very personal space in a way that it's not when you're a younger child. And, you know, you, you kind of you become obsessed with asserting your personality, like putting up posters and like showing off like the things you like and your personal style and all that stuff. And the funny yes. thing is, as I said, this laptop didn't have Internet access. Um, it's kind of crazy to think now that I didn't have any Internet access in my bedroom. It's like, what was I growing up in the 1970s? Jesus Christ. But, you know, I had a television. I had a DVD player. Yeah. I had a radio. I had a CD player. You know, that's that's a lot of luxuries in a way. But I did not have internet access. But
0: I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it now. I, I didn't have internet access in my room until I mean, basically until I left for university. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was always a family computer, but when I left for university, I was uh, was gifted with a with a laptop. I remember sort of setting up in the first place that I stayed and being like, oh. Hang on, <laughs> I can uh, I can look at the internet with this thing. Yeah, and then just having that sort of realization that the world was this sort of sort of <laughs> suddenly untethered uh, monster for me to ride.
1: Yeah, well, it makes us seem ancient, doesn't it?
0: It does. I mean, we are ancient, let's be fair.
1: But even without internet access, I, I I was never happier than I was when I was just spending time in my room, and I would I would watch television, I would watch films. I would listen to the radio, I would put on CDs and I would just dick around on this laptop, you know, making artwork in Paint Shop Pro or just, you know, editing pictures or just writing stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah, I would do my homework on it and, um, but as for my personal life, yeah, it's like, well, not much was going on. I was still basically a kid I and mean, my parents had recently divorced, I think I'd, um there's uh, I didn't have a social life, (laughs) you know, at all. Um, and I was very, um, particularly quiet at that point. And I didn't, I, I, I really struggled to talk to people. It was a real struggle for me for a long time, but it, you know, it was really peaking around then I'd lost the kind of, um, childlike, you know, sort of like, you know children are very free in the way they speak they they're not self-conscious i was incredibly self-conscious by the time i got to 15 yeah and um i guess different kids have different ways of dealing with it and maybe mine was to try and express something through through words and images even if i was just expressing it to myself I can't really read into it more deeply than that. I don't think the subject matter of this book came from some deep-seated place of hurt or trauma or anything like that. It was more just um, derivative of things that I'd seen and read. I think um, I'd also recently seen a documentary on television about Ted Bundy, which no doubt um, fed into it as well. Like, I was becoming aware of true crime and, like, I'd read some of my mum's true crime books and was becoming kind of fascinated with things that way. And it's just, yeah, it's just, so again, like, this, uh, whole, this idea that there was this whole kind of world of evil out there, that there was these awful people out there. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, they're coming from the innocence of childhood where everything's just, you know, going to school and watching cartoons and your parents giving you fish fingers for dinner. And then suddenly it's like, wait... <laughs> there are people like this in the world. This is insane. Like no one told me about this.
0: I know, right? It's uh, it's remarkable when those moments happen. I remember also thinking, uh, and this this shows how particularly sheltered I was for a lot for a lot of time, particularly around issues of violence. My mom's uh, my mom's always abhorred any kind of violence whatsoever to the point of uh, she wouldn't allow us to watch. Uh, you've been framed <laughs> sort of a sort of a candid camera show because I remember I said like my dad put it on one time and she was like, you're just laughing at people's pain. And I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Thanks well, mom. <laughs> she isn't wrong. Yeah, she's not wrong, but it is pretty funny when someone get hit, gets hit in uh, the boing loings. If it's done um, just right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, I remember that, um, I remember seeing uh, these sort of uh, films and TV shows at the time, thinking, "I mean, this is uh, this is just television or film, movie fantasy. Like no one really does this stuff in life." And then, of course, you come to be a bit older, and you realise, "Oh, actually, what they show you in films is probably a sanitised version of things that people have done." Yeah,
1: sometimes that's a uh,
0: sometimes, yeah. Um, so you've got about. Well, you've got over five thousand words on this thing, which is a word count that fifteen-year-old me would have been seriously envious of. I remember, I remember getting anything past three thousand words for me. You felt like an enormous win. Um, like I remember thinking that ah, that's, I mean, that's proper. That's that's lots. Uh, but you've got this uh, five thousand word beastie, and it's just, just the start. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you remember thinking like like? How, I mean how long did this take you and do you remember having a sense of like how long you might want to like be working on it for and do you i mean do you know where you stopped for 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 that matter
1: well, it probably took place over a month or two, and I don't really remember why I stopped, but I don't remember being particularly conflicted about it. I think it was something that um I felt like I was going to come back to periodically and I, I did think, okay, I am going to finish that. It wasn't um, like I'd completely given up on it. I think it was just sort of always on hiatus. And I, you know, I guess I didn't really have a time frame at the time. Cause again, being a kid, being totally naive about how writing works and um, the process of creating a book in my head, it was like, Oh, it'll take, you know, a few weeks to write and illustrate an entire novel.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I I remember feeling that way as well. And now I'm like, oh, I managed to get a chapter done this month. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's yeah. That, that, I mean, that really really takes me back to just thinking. You know, the way that you would think about things the sort of the lack of understanding that you had about how the creative process worked, and then i mean for me at least and i, I imagine for you but i don't know um but for, for me it was very much like oh well you you haven't done it in a week so you're 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 lazy and you're bad
1: yes
0: yeah just getting getting this very strong sense of like you know i i i'm failing at this but not because i don't know how to do it but because i'm I'm just rubbish. I'm just a rubbish person.
1: That's exactly how I, like. I felt. And I, you know, when you're that age, you've never come close to tackling anything as big as writing a novel. The most you've been asked to do is to write a sort of a homework essay, maybe for a history class or something.
0: And the chances are that you didn't do it. So. And you have no,
1: yeah, you have no <laughs> idea what you're up against with a novel. A yeah. novel is like it's it's like tackling a monster. Yeah, you can't take it. You can't just imagine that you can just do it overnight. Um, but I guess I kind of did think that at the time, like you, that oh, if it's going to come, it must come easily. Mm. But I did come back to it um, a little later, and yeah, I, I didn't. <laughs> oh, I mean, that was going to be my this, next um, version. Yeah, but, uh... I've got a file called New Version, which is sort of a new opening, but it's basically a sort of eighth scene. Because the um, the original version amounts to about seven scenes and then this one has an eighth scene, which um, it basically just continues the story. Like, um, you know, it's sort of upping the ante, you know, oh, when are we going to kill again? And like just trying yes. to increase the drama. But one thing I, I've noted looking at this second version is that I clearly was trying to make it much more like A Clockwork Orange because there's hints that it's set in a sort of a world gone mad, that there's like, that this is commonplace, and that there's almost like rival gangs out there who are going to like, you know, Uh, you might kill, but you might also get killed. So that was the direction I was kind of trying to take it in. Interesting. Which was, let me check the metadata on this and see when (laughs) this was created. Yeah, so that was in 2006.
0: Setting metadata
1: at the beginning of 2006 and it looks like I was editing it until early 2007, the second version and then the third version was um, I tried briefly when I was at university to turn it into a graphic novel and I started trying to draw full comics pages for it in a sketchbook and got a few pages in and basically just thought, the hell with this (laughs) <laughs> i got better
0: things to yeah. do. if i'm if i'm gonna put my time into a project i'm gonna i should probably pick it and not just uh not just go with one that i've uh, tried a few times before at least that's the feeling i always had when i tried to go back to stuff i i'd start and i'd be like oh yeah i, I already couldn't do this <laughs> <Yeah>. oh well
1: <laughs> sadly i don't have any of that uh any of that comic i think i chucked that pretty quickly
0: well there's uh there's an incident in your past which i hope you don't mind me uh foreshadowing but there was a there was a sort of a a cleansing of your work at some point yeah the, which, the, uh,
1: the bonfire
0: the bonfire yes yeah that which uh, i i, way, I sort of i sort of want to cover that as a perhaps a sort of a a themic episode if you're if you're down for that because i i think that that's a really interesting special uh, difference between us bonfire yeah, special,
1: bonus episode
0: yeah because I, I i mean i just want to know the story about that but that's that's way down the line
1: well, I already spoke last time about when I dumped all my folders of old work, but the bonfire was a separate incident.
0: Well, these are the- goodness me, yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps, perhaps, uh, perhaps then just a talk on catharsis at large. Catharsis at large can uh, cover many, many things because I, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting off the 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 trail here, but uh, yeah.
1: Well, to circle back to what you were just saying um, about how. It's better to try and find a new project rather than trying again to do something that hasn't worked. That's also <laughs> something that I've, that I've struggled with over the years. And there's one or two stories in particular that have hung around for ages and that I will pick up again every like six months or so. And be, I'll look at them and I'll think, my God, I love this idea. This has to work. And I'll think, oh, I'm sure I can get it to work if I just, maybe I can put that at the start and just do it slightly differently like this. And then I end up getting into the same state that I did the last time and just tearing my hair out and going, this stupid thing, it's just, it's, it doesn't, for some reason it doesn't work. And then I put it away again to be picked mm. up once more in six months.
0: It is um, it is pretty difficult, isn't it? You know, you, and I, I think that as well, like I do, distinctly remember um, I used to read Empire wonderful film magazine that's uh, big in the UK certainly it was at the time um, and I remember an interview with uh, Quentin Tarantino who being a teenager I right, thought was the smartest man alive <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, certainly at the time and I remember thinking well he, he talked he was talking about uh, the movie inglorious bastards. Um, and how he'd, uh, he'd had this script for years and years and he was finally making it. And I, I just sort of remember thinking, wow, so that's that's the secret to success. For some reason, that was just a fact that I clamped down on. So I always remember thinking, it doesn't matter if you come back to a project a thousand times, eventually, eventually Christoph Waltz will be your lead and you'll make uh, a wonderful, horrible little movie. But
1: sometimes that does work for people. Like I've heard yeah. a lot in interviews with... All kinds of artists about how they will they will sit on something for ten years and then suddenly its time will come, mm. and what you ultimately have to believe is just that there are there are no solid principles that you can follow in terms of what works in art. Sometimes something works and you just can't explain why, and sometimes something doesn't work and you can't explain why.
0: Yeah, it is a uh, it's a remarkable beast like that. I know that I've got um, I've got ideas that that fall into the same category, you know, just revisited over and over. Each time you change them a bit, or you change them a lot, or you try and you know start them again from fresh, and you know it all sort of adds to it in a way. But maybe eventually you find where the blockages and you pull it out, and then suddenly everything comes forth.
1: But, yeah, it does happen.
0: Yeah,
1: and I guess um, that's part of the reason I wanted to actually do this podcast was to explore that and to look back and see when i was totally naive when i had no idea what i was doing what, what did i keep coming up against and maybe that can help me understand today uh, the problems that i keep coming up against when trying to create art like what's when you have problems now when a story doesn't work for whatever reason why is that and when we look back at this early work already i'm starting to see a pattern that it's, it's a case of simply not knowing how to do something. And maybe mm. that's still true now. If I'm struggling, it's just because that's a complicated thing and I don't know how to do it.
0: Certainly. I mean, I think that, um, I, I'd be, I'd be careful to, to lord him as like, uh, the world's highest talent, but I, I'm, I'm a fairly big fan of the work of, uh, George R. R. Martin. Um, like obviously his, song of ice and fire books are his best known, but, um, like I've I've read some of his earlier work and it's all it's all like very good but you can definitely see the progression of talent over time and you sort of realize he couldn't have written those books as a young author like there's too much going on there's too much like layering too too much density to the Song of Ice and Fire books in particular you know there's so there's so much material there and so many um, sort of like carefully laid clues and hints and bits of world building um, that you just think well a younger person would have either lampshaded this too obviously or left it out or just messed it up um so you sort of wonder you know like could like when he when he initially pitched the books before he started to really get into writing them they were much simpler and shorter and I think that's because he started them when he was a lot younger um but yeah I, I do think that not knowing how to do stuff as you say is a uh, is is a real bane, even if it's not. I think you're necessarily aware of.
1: Well, that's the point. You have um, to be aware of it. That's what I'm. That's what I'm starting to think is that yeah. it's acknowledging your limitations and saying, "Okay, I don't know how to do that yet, but I'm going to work up to it." Rather than just beating Indeed. yourself up and making your own life difficult.
0: Indeed. And um, on sort of thematically on that note, I would like to ask you: the Lith siblings, is it the work of a child, or is it the first attempt at mature art well i'm going to which i feel is a question we should ask on every episode fyi i just think that's i think that should be one of our staples to be honest well it
1: is called okay. juvenilia correct which in case anyone doesn't know means childish work before you really hit your stride and became a professional am i right is that accurate
0: yes essentially it's uh, the early, the early works of uh, like the childish attempts of making artwork. You know, like before you knew what you were doing, but you still had the you know, the will. Yeah, the body's willing, but the the hands are unskilled.
1: Well, if I was to call it the work of a child, I would have to call that child a pretty disturbed child. It's quintessentially the work I don't of. Don't
0: think anyone. I don't think
1: anyone's arguing that point. <laughs> It's it's quintessentially the work of an adolescent, isn't it? Which is to say a child. And at the time, I guess I thought I was an adult and enough of an adult to be writing about this stuff. But obviously looking back on it, you know, 18 years later, I can say, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and that's okay. But um, that is okay. as with the porn, I should have um, aimed maybe a little bit lower, you know, tempered my expectations slightly and just tried to target something that was more within my capacity to understand. So I guess it was certainly an attempt at writing an adult book.
0: Hmm. I also have a question, which is, if you had finished this work, how do you think that would have affected the landscape of work that came afterwards? And what I'm sort of getting at is you know this work is a very particular kind of thing do you feel had you completed it that you would have then pursued more of the same or do you think that that would have driven you away from trying to cover similar material as you may or may not have done later on
1: i don't think it would have affected me that significantly um if i had finished it it's difficult to imagine that it would have made any impact or that I really would have been willing to share it because of the problems mentioned earlier. And if anything, I think it would have gotten out of my system, the whole, um, you know, those those very dark themes. Certainly I've not really returned to, to, to that kind of thing since, even though I've written some some kind of dark, some might say depressing stuff in recent years Mm. it's um you know the stuff about really kind of grim violence and crime doesn't interest me and i think had i finished this book it probably would have interested me even less the fact that i didn't finish it probably suggests that it wasn't all that interesting to me at the time it was more of um it was more a temporary fascination which you do tend to get at that age, don't you? Like you'll become obsessed with something for a few months and then yes. drop it entirely because you're trying to, you know, you're exploring a lot of different things and gradually figuring out who you are and what most interests you. But I think the reason I picked out the the, the section of text that I did to read is because it contains that sort of domestic drama element that became much more interesting to me later on and which is actually surprisingly mature for a 15-year-old i don't really know what that was based on but it actually shows a sort of semi-believable interaction between two adults in a relationship and i'd never been in a relationship at that point <laughs>
0: I do, I do, th- uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that the, the actual adult content in this is the, is the difficult relationship that you depict. I think that the, the violence is almost the, the sort of the, you know, the, it's almost the, the sort of the work of a, of a child. Yeah, uh, that's true. Not in a, not in a critical way, you understand, but I think violence appeals at the, uh, the, it starts to appeal at the very end of childhood. As you're becoming uh, a teenager, it's this thing where you're like, oh no, this can happen. And wait, but maybe I can, maybe I can do this, or maybe I can make this happen, or maybe I can stop this from happening. And then you start to realize that actually, even though it's a thing that can happen, it absolutely never should. And like you, most of your confrontations won't end up in violence, but in interpersonal negotiations.
1: I've got a question for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, shoot.
1: Or you. It's a question to, to both of you. Well, if you've had a 15-year-old son and you went on his laptop to, I don't know, check your lottery numbers.
0: Because <laughs> the big computer's not working. I don't know.
1: And you found this story and you read it. Would you worry about him?
0: Mm, no. Uh, I'm going to answer that. No, I, I wouldn't worry about him. And I would. I think I would talk to him about it i think i'd be like you know how does this make you feel what are you what are you talking about here but i also think that i think that if any any kid were in some way doing things that mirrored what was going on here i don't think they'd be wasting time writing about it i think they'd be out there in the field running their experiments and that's the worrying thing
1: that's true i'd probably Um, sit him down and say son this is very creative And then I'd look carefully at his reaction.
0: (laughs) And you'd have your gun cocked behind your back, (laughs) ready to take him out at a moment's notice. Uh, Hug him with
1: the gun pressed to his temple, shed a single tear, and
0: shoot. Coming soon. Let's suggest to... family.
1: Whoa. Hey. I don't know. That could work.
0: That could work. Uh, sort of like a Mr and Mrs Smith thing, Mr and Mrs Lee.
1: <laughs> Sam, Sam, you you absolutely nailed that one. I did. I'm not even I... going to edit that out. You're not. I'm certainly not. Ah,
0: good for us. But the other um, files
1: I've got remaining, there's a, a his, there's there's I've got a file called History, which basically just describes the backgrounds of the five characters. <clears throat>
0: Always important to have a history doc. Gotta have your world building.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I want to know more about. Uh, hang on. I want to know more about Chastity.
1: Chasty? That's just the town. Well, yeah. But that's the town they live in. It's just a really weird name that I just pulled out of my ass. Yeah. There's nothing that's, to that's it. Ha- I certainly have re- no.
0: Reoccurring men's. theme for sure.
1: Pulling things out of my ass. Absolutely. I don't know.
0: I mean, names that we made up. I think we talked about that last time, but
1: I think I've gotten a little better at it because Chastity doesn't even sound like a town.
0: No, it sounds it sounds like someone that doesn't know the word chastity, to be honest.
1: Yep, that's what it sounds like, which is kind of weird. Um, but uh, I certainly had no concept of world building or setting at the time. Like the idea that um, that a story ought to be set in a specific place and you should incorporate the setting into the story, that certainly never occurred to me. I mean, as far as I was concerned, it wasn't even necessarily set in, in England. It was just a sort of nowhere place. It was just movie land, you know?
0: No, I, I absolutely understand that. Um, I always hated de- describing uh, environments. I was like oh i've got to think of what this room looks like or i've got to think of uh you know what this forest looks like yeah but the what well, that's i've got to draw a map of the town and you realize that no no one's gonna go through your work and be like well you said they took a left here but that doesn't make any sense what are they have zoning permits for this kind of road yeah
1: yeah and again it's yeah. a learned skill the only thing that I hated more than describing an environment was drawing one. Drawing the interior of a room was like torture back then. And again, it's just not really knowing how places look. I used to agonize over like things like skirting boards and window frames. Like how how do you, where does it go? How does it look? And I never thought to just look around me and sort of use the room that I was in as a guide.
0: Yeah, I um I do remember from this same period of time, I didn't I wasn't drawing nearly as much as you, but I do remember that the way that you would establish that you were inside a room was that you would show a corner of the room where the walls would be like intersecting. Yeah. And you would you would need to make sure that you had uh, sconced uh <laughs> ensconced um like moulding and skirting boards. Those were the two things that you needed to make sure people knew you were inside and not just inside sort of some sort of yeah. cube. Otherwise, the room will be featureless, save for maybe a window, which I'd spend way too much time putting sort of stepped like uh, panels. Yes, into it.
1: yeah, they used to, that kind of thing. It used to seem so important. In the same way that to a a, a five year old, they always pick out certain features on a human figure. You know, they always draw the fingers in the same way and like hair in a particular way. In the same way, teenagers have certain habits that they resort to. Yeah, and that. It, yeah, for some reason, like things like you start thinking about what's the interior of a room like. And you, it's always skirting boards and light switches, and like mm, I, 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 would, for example, Got just have that
0: realism. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, you think like what's what what's on the sort of surface of a room? Mm-hmm. Oh, a light switch. And I just put a light switch in a sort of random position.
0: Maybe a maybe a um, a picture frame that was uh, rectangular in shape, but with an oval. Um, framing inside yes with like a with a picture of uh, of the main character <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah looking slightly younger but my what 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 hurts me is that we're talking about this and i still feel like i do this a bit now there's so much baggage from when i was a teenager trying to draw this stuff that when i'm drawing graphic novels now and as you know i like to um draw stuff that's um set in a consistent uh setting. setting so like yeah. like a lot of action taking place in one room and you find yourself like drawing the same like f- yeah like a picture frame on a wall or like a certain bit of furniture again and again and and i kind of find myself thinking subconsciously oh god oh that's probably just shit isn't it i mean that looks stupid <laughs> doesn't it oh god people probably think well that's not how picture frames look that's rubbish and here i am drawing it for the 30th <laughs> time like an idiot
0: I uh, I can't wait to um, for the day that you're able to put a, uh, a one-star review from Picture Frame Aficionado in one of your published works.
1: I, too, look forward to that day. Case in point, though, <laughs> I, let's look at the second illustration here. Sorry, go on, you yes, were going to say something.
0: No, I was just going to continue the joke and uh, continue to rib you. but uh, yeah, illustration two, Dante and Sarah. That
1: is enough roasting for one day, Sam. I can't no. take any more heat.
0: The oven's been turned off. You're roast-free, my friend.
1: And hey, so the second <laughs> illustration—it's—it's it's the illustration for the section of the text that I read out. It's—it's uh, it's a very creepy-looking Dante trying to explain why he's been missing all night to his girlfriend. But I don't care about that. What situation I care about is the Situation
0: background. we've all been in. Oh well, I apologize, gone.
1: Most people, yeah, maybe, yeah, but usually it's more innocent. Usually it's just like, ah, oh, I was out on the lash oh, with the lads.
0: Got got lost on the way from the home from the chip shop. And sorry, I ate the chips because I had to <laughs> to survive. <laughs>
1: You've only been gone ten minutes. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I want to look at the background here because this is just a perfect example of what we were talking about. You've got a weird armchair with a sort of spiral on top. And then in the background, there's a floating kitchen counter that's about a mile away. And there's what looks like three different (laughs) saucepans sort of hanging there, but no other visible utensils or kitchen equipment.
0: Yes. So it's, uh, yeah. I mean, they're in a kitchen, clearly. But also there's a comfortable seating.
1: No, but it's a flat, you know, with like a a living room slash kitchen. Oh, I see. It's open plan. Uh, Very modern. And even though I'd lived in the same house my whole (laughs) life at that point, I knew that some people in flats had open plan kitchen living rooms. Yes. That's what I was trying to draw because I knew that they were young adults. You know, this is like their first serious relationship. They moved in together. I knew enough to know that. I just didn't know enough to know how to draw a
0: kitchen. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's hallmarks of, of sophistication to that. The three hanging pans. I mean, I, I don't think I would have thought the <laughs> three hanging pans. I think I would have drawn, just drawn a big rectangle to indicate a work surface. Each pan is different
1: as well. There's three different pans. you got a little frying well, one of pan. The, one
0: of them looks... One of those dustpan.
1: <laughs> that's not no. That's one of those square like griddle pans. You know, it's like a oh, frying pan, I, I but it's, it's square and it's got ridges in the bottom to let the fat run okay. out.
0: Oh, George Foreman! <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah.
1: In this picture, he's holding her by the shoulders, and he's like, his expression is like, "No, listen to me." But what he's actually saying is, "I need to tell you about George Foreman's lean, mean, fat reducing grilling machine."
0: It <laughs> just drains of that directly into my mouth.
1: <laughs> and uh, you've also uh, got a little, um, little element of a black and white tiled floor in the background as well. Yeah, which... no,
0: I was going to say it's it's very sophisticated. Uh, I, I'm going to keep using that word. Um, it's. Uh, I like that it goes as far as one side of his, of his head, but doesn't go any further, as <laughs> exactly. if he's the boundary of this this world which is a sort of a meta-narrative, really.
1: Again, that's my uh, vignetting thing. I didn't really... What I should have done, what someone should have told me, is draw a frame and go to the edge of the frame, because I always just sort of did floating images, and they, I just yes. had to sort of end them at some point. And if a feature crossed a character's head in the foreground, that was a good place to stop drawing.
0: Yeah, because otherwise you're just making more work for yourself. <laughs> is very is very <laughs> economical
1: but the painful thing about looking at these drawings is not that i cringe about them anymore like oh it's so bad because it's like i don't care i was a kid but the painful thing is i look at it and i remember agonizing over this stuff and the sad fact is like i said i do still agonize a bit today about this stuff
0: i i think that i think that, uh, I don't know, I, I think that it sort of sets you three, though, to a, to a degree, doesn't it? You know, like, I mean, the agonizing is painful, and it's it does make you feel sort of weird and, like, in, incompetent, maybe. But I think that if you weren't agonizing and you were just, like, hacking at it, like, without really thinking about it, I think that you wouldn't be progressing. And I don't think you would. I think if you just were completely carefree all the time, I'm not you can't be carefree sometimes, but I think that you would just end up putting, putting down ungrowing rubbish
1: well, sure, but it's almost like I've got this uh, trauma of about uh, drawing backgrounds,
0: <laughs> and
1: every time I try to draw a background, the trauma comes back.
0: I do remember one project. You told me that you you built an environment using a bit of three D software. Yeah, so that you could uh, you could place a camera and always be like, "Yep, that's what it would look like."
1: Yeah, that was Breakers Ooh. End. Much, much so- later.
0: I remember thinking, "This guy's, this guy's making comics in 3008. <laughs> it
1: worked really well, actually.
0: Get this man an Eisner.
1: <laughs> and the funny thing is, Breakers End was mostly set out of doors, so I didn't have that much use for it. But where <laughs> I did, it, it felt like a bit of a revelation. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to skip ahead to the uh, the sixth and final illustration.
0: Please do, because I, I this is I, since I opened the files, I've been begging to. I've been pleading <laughs> for information with this, not in a verbal way, you understand. But uh, I do, I do need to know about this uh, this beauty, this goddess that you've uh, <laughs> portrayed here.
1: It's a drawing of yeah, a, a, a beautiful woman in a quote unquote stylish outfit, singing as the lead, very, the lead singer of some kind of some kind of band on a little stage there. And yeah, it's well, what... that's
0: Ringo Starr in the back for sure. Oh,
1: that is Ringo. Oh, that's what Ringo's doing now.
0: Yeah. Go on.
1: And, uh, yeah, well, this is from one of the later scenes that I actually managed to write where two of the other characters go to a... They're in a pub and they see this band and then, like, the main character, Dante, like, falls in love with the singer. I don't really know where I was going with that, but I'm pretty sure, looking at my notes for this, that this the singer was actually going to end up like joining this this murder crew and becoming one of the killers but the twist was she never killed anyone intentionally but she had a rare form of uh a rare form of like sleepwalking where she would fall asleep and then in her sleep she would get up kill people and she'd wake up with blood on her hands and be like oh god what happened
0: oh my bloody hands yeah was she Northern? no, um, yeah. I, I mean, I I think that uh, you you've done a lot of uh, a lot of like character building in this design. I've, it's not uh, it's not generic. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of detail here. You've got she's wearing very uh, are they wet look leggings or are they sort of leather pants? Yeah, you've they're meant to be like
1: le- leather style leggings. Yeah, like leather. Yeah, sort of
0: gloss she's, finish uh, leggings. She, she's wearing gloves that look as if they may have monster scales on them, and they're I mean, I don't want to give, give too much away, but they, it, it seems as if they are inspiring the name for the band that she's the fronter uh, front runner of with their design.
1: Yeah, the two. Um, the, the band is called the Two Finger Hands, which, like the name of the town, is something that I just pulled straight out my butt.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not? If it's in there, get it out. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Oh, how I did <laughs> yeah, um but uh yeah, no she's uh, she's got a design she's got a i mean she's very very lithe, i'll say that much um she certainly has a tummy she does, but um yeah no i I, I really like this illustration, I'll be honest, I think it's my favorite one of the uh the whole the whole the whole set wow. Though. I mean, yeah, there's, there's some good ones in here for sure, but I think this is my, my favourite. Um,
1: well, it was basically my excuse to just draw a nice lady and get away with it without anyone laughing I was at me. Gonna say,
0: I was going to say, I mean, back in those days, you were allowed to draw one one nice lady per year unless you had a special permit. <laughs> You've cleverly uh, made use of that, uh, that loophole, yeah. the lady loophole, as it's known in the industry.
1: Yeah, and um, quick note, uh, you've probably noticed the hands, that's something else I struggled with, because my god some of the hands, especially on that first illustration, they look like she's got squid or crabs just coming out of her sleeves I really, really struggled to draw hands at that point
0: Well I think that um, your your struggle to, to draw hands um, comes from a pretty noble place I think um, normally when people are drawing hands they'll sort of draw like a very like fixed uh unmoving hand like it won't be doing anything it will just be a sort of a a palm with like four um four sausages of like you know that are just cylinders they don't have any sort of like you know roundness to them or any of the sort of the subtler curves that exist in fingers um but you've you've tried to show each individual segment of each finger, and I think in doing that you have sort of set yourself up for momentary failure, but long term, um, long term success. Mm. You know, you you've sort of I can see each knuckle and each part of each finger. I was certainly you know, you've, trying
1: you've, to get the hands to do things. There's yeah, a guy playing it, they're, they're a cello. That's sort of holding a microphone there. You know, you've
0: got uh, <laughs> there's one bit where you've got um, you know Sarah's got her sort of hands on her hips almost and she's uh
1: yeah and the hand is curled yeah. around like bent at the wrist yeah. and it's terrible but you can see what i was trying to do at least <laughs> yeah
0: you haven't just uh it's not it's not like when ai draws hands and it just does a sort of a you know a seven-fingered monstrosity you know you've 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 definitely gone for it it's everything's doing something
1: on that first illustration it is close to a monstrosity i mean that's
0: like a that is fair it Number number one is a bit is a bit. Uh, it looks like you've got some sort of terrible um, explosive linguine gout. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: linguini gout. Linguini mm, gout,
0: delicious. <laughs> my favourite.
1: But my issues with drawing hands weren't fully solved until the mid twenty tens when I went through a period of several months where I would get up every morning and draw 50 hands from photographs, because I was so fed up of struggling to draw hands.
0: Well, I think that's something we can all learn from, Wilkin. Um, I, to this day, still occasionally put thumbs on the wrong side of hands, and I'm 33.
1: Hey, we've all been there.
0: Just I, I get so confused about it. I'll look at my own hand, I'll look at the drawing, and I'll still get it wrong.
1: So... I'm going to give you a few quick quiz questions.
0: I was hoping you would, because I was I was worrying that you could going to ask me to give you quick quiz questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't know what you'd ask me. And also, I didn't know what I'd ask you. And frankly, I'm starting already to regret suggesting a quiz, because there's a lot of logistical issues with a quiz.
0: <laughs> well, there is, but uh, I think that we can be used as a sort of a diving board, can't it? Okay, well, let's Besides. dive oh, the, in. The best qu- the best quizzes are um, imperfectly answered, in my opinion. So
1: I said, let's dive in. Um, I apologise. Okay, so the... Diving caps on. So all these questions, they're not actually about the story. They're just about my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what am I sp- I'm not going to quiz you on the story. You, never, you didn't even read it back in the day.
0: Oh, I still haven't read it now, technically. All right, all right. Let's just do this. I, w- <clears throat> I will later.
1: <laughs> what? Who music videos did you leave on my laptop for my viewing enjoyment? Now remember, it wasn't connected ooh, to the internet, ooh. so you brought over some music videos on some kind of storage media and put them on my laptop. Mm. What what were they?
0: Now you're asking. I uh, let me guess both before you give me an answer. Um, I guess one one I think was. See, there's two periods of time where I feel this could be happening. I feel like one might have been the music video for um, Can't Stop by... No, it's not called that. It's called Move Your Feet. What's it called? It's by Junior Senior. It's uh, an animated uh, pixel art video. I remember being a very good fan of that at the time. Um, Maybe it wasn't that. Uh, The other one I'm going to guess is... um, Video to mindless self-indulgence. Shut me up, which is directed by Yonan Vasquez.
1: Okay, are those your final answers?
0: Those are my final answers.
1: You got one out of two.
0: Damn. Junior, uh, senior,
1: move your feet is correct.
0: Okay, so it, it is the earlier time period. I think. Uh, I think uh, the like, latter one may have been the first video that I uh, broke my own personal ban on YouTube to watch. <laughs> So that's a uh, that's a little bit later in the game, um, okay. So that's one of them. Uh, I I'm, I feel like I'm so close to it, but I can't I can't quite grab it. What is it? No, I, I I my my brain doesn't work that well. You give up? Hit me. I do give up.
1: It was Gwen Stefani, Hollaback Girl.
0: Oh wow!
1: Yeah, you remember with the the cheerleader theme
0: yeah 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 I do I, do or I don't remember think they, that video. I don't know
1: if they were cheerleaders or majorettes but some kind of something like that
0: they were um, they were just Americans just standard Americans so that's the kind of thing no I used to
1: do on my laptop I'd be like ah oh, yeah well can't get MTV on this thing but uh, I got a couple the of, next best thing got a couple of mp4s here I think I'll watch uh, what would I fancy today junior senior move your feet oh that's some nice pixel art. Very good. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> what you didn't
0: realise was uh, that video is not pixelated. That was just the effect of your laptop.
1: No. That was actually <laughs> live footage.
0: <laughs> uh I do remember uh enjoying that video a lot. I might uh, I might go watch it later and I would encourage anyone listening to this brackets, no one, to uh go and watch Move Your Feet by Junior Senior. It's uh wonderful, wonderful stuff.
1: Alright, um question two. Yes. I bought my first memory stick so that I could use that laptop, put things on it, and transfer them to your computer at your house or transfer them yes. to school where I could print off homework and so on. Yes. So, how much did I pay for that first memory stick and how much
0: storage was on it? Uh, I think that that first memory stick. You know, I, I, I remember where you bought this. I remember I remember you buying it from that very small, like shop that was basically the size of uh, someone's kitchen, at the end of um, not What was it called? The the road where the old uh, Odeon was yeah. in uh, in Colchester.
1: One of those old style uh, computer shops.
0: Yes, where they would sell you a full computer. Sold as it is with no modifications. Um, I am going to take a swing and say that it was five hundred and twelve megabytes, uh, and I'm going to say that you paid thirty two ninety nine for it.
1: Well, uh, it the price as I remember it was thirty pounds, but you know I'm going to take a ballpark figure for that, so I'll say you got that right. But the nice. um the storage no it was actually only 16 megs
0: was it really yeah
1: no sorry no sorry <laughs> wait a minute i can't remember now <laughs> the quiz master the, answer,
0: the the answer is uh <laughs> the answer is there's no answer no,
1: you've thrown me now sam you've bloody thrown me hold on oh well initially, no, sorry, I, th- initially no, I thought up. Up. it was <laughs> shut up listen it was 128 megs i remember now it was 120 yeah that's right what did you say you said 512
0: i was a couple of years down the line
1: you got two points out of four so far but i got one more question don't worry i think you'll get this one who did you use my famous laptop to make a comical edit of using jask paint shop pro and, all. <laughs> and what was the main feature of that comical edit? <laughs> Edited a picture. Of I, uh, Who was it? I, <laughs> Who was the picture of.
0: I, I can't believe that this whole thing's oh, been a no. setup. <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> oh, no, uh, it was it was Gwen Stefani. Oh, uh, there she is again. And the and she was uh, she was talking uh, talking about. Uh, she was talking about something, but I, I, I increased the frame of the image to make room for a uh, an unwanted member.
1: He edited a really comically long penis into her hand in place of a microphone.
0: <laughs> uh, it was difficult work as well. I had to layer it up as well. I couldn't find a, I couldn't find a single a single image that uh, gave you know the proportion and the uh, the dimensions that I was that I was looking for. So I, I do remember having to make a sort of a Frankenstein situation using the uh, the clone tool, which I would then go on to use to uh, forge bus passes for myself most <laughs> of the rest of my teenage year. So it really paid off in the long term.
1: Well, as you know, I now do Photoshop work for a living, and I would and love still to see have that not been able to get out, to that level. See. Oh. If I could um, see how I would rate it, because I remember it being pretty impressive. Actually,
0: I would also like to give a uh, give a shout out to the folks at Jask because <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're the real MVPs.
0: Because <laughs> PaintShop Pro Eight was uh, how I spent a lot of my early uh, creative years. I remember thinking, "Wow, ah, I'm I'm a PaintShop Pro," even though I wasn't using paint. I remember that being a, an important part of my. Mental reasoning on the whole thing Uh, it's sort of digital paint I'm using but I'm mostly using the ink brush (laughs) it's the thing I would think to myself and then Photoshop came along and I was like I don't really care for these guys little did I know that they were set to take over the whole world
1: well that program still exists it's not owned by Jask anymore but it's still there and you can get it for about £50 and you you don't have to pay a subscription so frankly how does Adobe stay in business that's what I want to know yeah, uh,
0: idiocy and market dominance. I would assume.
1: Sounds about right. Shall we do the cringe league table?
0: I believe it's time. Um, I I have no uh, I have no dog in this race, um, but I, I would like to just put in that uh, I, I I like this piece of work, Corbin. I'm glad that you made it. I'm very touched that you would uh, be willing to share it with me. It's a uh, like it's good, it's solid. I think it stands up. Well, I can send you but the rest that,
1: if you want, because you're missing a sort of some stuff. No, I'd, I'd, if you love it I'd so like much. To, you-
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I'd really like to actually sit down and uh, you know look at this work and actually read it. That's uh, I, I. One quick thing before you do your score, I'd like to say that I, I absolutely at this age did not know what a vegan was, and you've you've got a mention of one right in there. Oh yeah, my little right the first
1: prologue. Yeah. I did a little prologue explaining why may- maybe murder is okay. You know, you don't know, do you?
0: Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it really makes you think. I didn't want to read I that. I think bit. that. Yeah, remember? <laughs> <'Cause... laughs> I know you didn't. <laughs> That's yeah.
1: That's why I didn't mention it. <laughs>
0: yeah, apologize. Yeah, Many people um... would say
1: what they did was wrong. But what is morally correct?
0: How do we know what's right one. and wrong?
1: <laughs> See, I was, I was like doing a philosophy at that age, man. I was, I was questioning the whole moral system of Western civilization while Me you were while sitting I'm there I, fiddling uh... with your willy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was sitting there, you know, saluting the queen. Um, yeah, uh, so let's start with your nostalgia score, please, Wilkin. I will give you a drum roll
1: okay go. well to me it's slight, slightly it's slightly more nostalgic than the porn because <sighs> yeah because it wasn't as du- it was it it feels more indicative of a very particular period of my life, and it really reminds me of being fifteen and living my whole damn life in that bedroom mm. and you know the music I was listening to, the films I was watching, which Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino, was another one, by the way, that kind of touched, this This was touched by.
0: I mean, it came out, I would imagine it came out maybe uh, six months before this was created, I I think.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So if I gave the pawn 50, I'm going to give this one 58. All
0: right, 58. Cool. And uh, now give me that cringe factor. maybe...
1: What cringe did I give to the pawn? I need comparison here.
0: I think that you gave... Imagine if we'd written this down. Um,
1: oh, I thought you yeah, were writing
0: uh, it down. I believe that I did. I just don't have that information in front of me, but I'm just getting it.
1: You told maybe me you were the
0: cringe master, man. I am I am the cringe master. Don't don't challenge my authority. Oh, I've been discussing... I didn't write it down. Crap! I know that we ended up at forty-four point five.
1: Oh well, then uh, we can do the calculations. Oh wait, no, we can't. Look, I'll go back and listen can't. to it later. Whatever, I'll free wheel it. We've got fifty-eight cringe, fifty-eight nostalgia score for the Lith siblings, and it's pretty cringy, hmm? Sam. It's pretty cringy.
0: Fifty-eight cringe, okay.
1: No, fifty-eight nostalgia.
0: Wait, how much? You said fifty-eight nostalgia.
1: Fifty eight nostalgia.
0: How much cringe? I
1: said it's pretty cringe.
0: Yeah.
1: That means I'm still deciding.
0: <laughs> Have a little think about it. Ooh. Thirty
1: three. There you go.
0: Wow. A devastating blow.
1: It's pretty cringe, you know? And I'm a harsh scorer.
0: You are a harsh scorer. I'd I be amazed. Like is is only going to benefit my, my projects in the uh in yeah, the scheme of things, but I'm not going to complain about that. Um, that gives you 25 mm. for the siblings.
1: Yeah, 25. I'm starting to imagine already that the cringe league table is going to be a complete shit show. There's going to be a lot of, <laughs> a, lot of a lot of a lot of disputes. There's going to be a lot of controversial the, uh, entries.
0: It's going to end up like uh, you know sort of scoring for the Olympics, where uh, by the end we're going to become so punishing. Uh, expect so much more from the works you know, back, in, back in the old days you could basically do a, a backflip and you get a 10 and these days if you if you don't break at least one leg then you're not really even in with running yeah that's what the Olympics is like right?
1: I <laughs> don't know I've never watched it ah, so that's it that's in it well I don't know if that's ahead of the porn or behind it because we didn't write it down I mean that
0: is a, that's behind is it? Well, yeah, the pawn got 44.5. That's where it ended up. Oh, but that's combined with your there. score.
1: Yes. Your generous scoring. Oh, God, this is yes. a complete clusterfuck.
0: <laughs> we can go back uh, and get those scores and, uh, yeah, find it out. I think I gave uh, an 80-something to the pawn for nostalgia, but that's, uh, yeah, it's neither here nor there. Um, cool. uh, final question if you were to make this now what would be different
1: okay here's what i'd do <clears throat> listen up cuz i'm only going to say this once <laughs> <laughs> i would ha- oh man i mean how do you how how do you approach a story like that in a mature way the only thing i can think of is you would have to you'd have to um you have to make it about the victims, don't you because if if you're writing a story about people doing horrendous things, the idea that the actual victims of their crimes in the story are just these sort of non characters, which is how I was going about it it's just' it's, it's horrible you know mm. you'd have to um you'd have to write it in a way where I don't know like how can your protagonists be i don't know Sam. I don't know. I don't think I could. I don't think I would.
0: Your protagonist can't be a bad guy.
1: Well, it's not that they can't be a bad guy, but this is just ridiculous. Because it's like, in a way, yeah, I was trying to like empathize with a sadistic serial killer. It's just it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I I I couldn't do it. I mean, I guess I would have to make it sort of um, ironic and almost like surreal like it would have to be it would have to become a sort of psychological deep dive like you'd have to really go into the madness and like almost mm-hmm. take it to a place that's uh, divorced from reality completely like you'd have to kind of like shift it away from ordinary reality in some way to make it um to make it less less uh, real if that makes sense You'd, it's true you'd have to take it to like maybe if you took it and you set it in like a remote location somehow I don't know like or a different time like if you set it in a historical period somehow you might get away with it
0: I can picture this as sort of a you know 13th, uh, 13th century like medieval like a couple of siblings like going to town on people with the local blacksmith tools there you go
1: I could, I could do the illustrations as medieval woodcuts.
0: Oh my goodness, Wilkin, I just remembered something through our timeline. <laughs> What's that? The, uh, the, the, black, uh, the black Death uh, epic poem comics. Oh, oh wow, okay.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that. let that one down.
0: But uh, anyway. Um, yeah, we're doing a live, uh,
1: live editorial on the podcast. Yeah. A little uh, but, teaser um, for a future episode. <laughs>
0: we have to get Dan involved for that one, though. He was all, Dan and Emma, uh, both both are key players in that production. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Me either. But you, dear listener, will have to. For many years. And by years, I mean years of audio time. Not just, you know, time between episodes, but actual recorded audio length. Um, but on that note, let's decide what we're going to talk about next. I think I know Oh, really? Yeah, I think I know. Is it that obvious? I think it's that obvious. I mean, what do you think of when you think about uh, early Samuel Bone-only creative projects?
1: I don't know, Sam. I think you'd better tell me.
0: Next week, we'll be covering my earliest and perhaps most magnus of opuses. (laughs) (laughs) The comic series known as The Usual Scum.
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> uh, it's going to be painful. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to it. It's uh, it's long overdue, and it's a project I haven't thought about since I touched it in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. <laughs> How do you
1: even begin to approach a work of that magnitude?
0: Now, that's uh, that's an issue for next week. Yeah,
1: let future Sam deal with that.
0: Yeah, screw that guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah well thank you for talking to me today and I hope you have a wonderful evening
1: thanks Sam and if you want to contact us you listening out there juveniliapodcast at gmail.com send us your concerns
0: alright thanks
1: (laughs) get out of here you